When the Scottish say, you're being a numpty, they mean someone who's not very clever at that moment. I was such a numpty just a couple of weeks ago. For the first time in four or five years, it snowed again, and the snow stayed. And of course, with a young child, my child, who has seen snow so far only in those less than contemporary textbooks, we needed to go outside and build a snowman, with the minimal amount of usable snow that we had. So I go about getting a woolly hat for both of us, a winter jacket and gloves. For now, my gloves stay in my jacket pocket, because I still need my dexterity for some finer work, like locking the door with the key and stuff like that. So we go off, and once we're at a suitable spot to build the snowman, I put my gloves on, and... Well, I realize I took twice the left glove of two pairs that I bought at the same time. That was my facepalm moment of the winter so far. Because, you see, what just happened was that I fell prey to something you call chirality. My name is Johannes Vogel, and you're listening to Chemistry in Everyday Life, a podcast where I explain the chemistry that happens all around us in layman's terms. Chemistry is the study of the attributes and changes that substances can undergo, no matter if they're gases, liquids, or solids. Believe me when I tell you that this happens everywhere around us at this very moment. The issue with the glove is an annoying one, isn't it? It sure was for me then. My hands became so numb I could hardly make grooves for the facial features of the snowman. But it also highlights the point around chirality. Something, an object, or a part of an object, is considered chiral, that's the adjective to the noun chirality, it is considered chiral when its mirror image cannot be superimposed onto it. If that is hard to grasp, and you have no gloves on you right now, try it with your hands. So, uh, disclaimer, as long as you're not driving or doing anything else that may harm you or others in one form or another while listening, please try the following. Spread out your fingers and look at the back of your hands held next to each other. In my case, I even let my thumbs touch each other. Now, let your palms touch and align your fingers so that the thumb is with a thumb, index finger with the other index finger, middle finger to middle finger, and so on. So that's no problem at all, right? Now try to do the last two actions both at the same time. That is, look at the back of your hands, then lay one hand over the other, that is, you superimpose one over the other, and now try to align the fingers, thumb with thumb, index with index, and so on, while both backs of the hands face still upward. This is not possible, because your hands are non-superimposable mirror images of each other. So, in fact, your hands are chiral. There are other examples, many, many other examples. I'm sure you have heard of the very small population of humans who have all their inner organs arranged the other way around. That is, the liver is not on the right-hand side, but the left, 
In turn, the spleen that is usually found on the left-hand side is on the right, and so on. This is something called situs inversus totalis. And those people are effectively mirror images in their anatomy to, well, normal people. Because in this case, quite clearly, that population is smaller, so they're not the norm. And this sort of phenomenon, this chirality, doesn't only exist on the large scale that is the world that we perceive with the naked eye. It also exists on the molecular level and plays a major role in certain parts of chemistry. There are many, many molecules that are chiral. Let me quickly explain what chirality means on a molecular level. Let's look at a very common situation with a carbon atom. A carbon atom can have up to four different connections, and these connections always try to be as far away from each other as possible. This is how electrons try to stay away from each other. Let's see how... Let me think how to illustrate this. So, imagine a cherry tomato, and you have four toothpicks to stick into it. If you were to stick them as far apart from each other as possible, what you would end up with is a tripod with one toothpick sticking straight upwards. This is called a tetrahedral arrangement, and this is what carbon atoms tend to achieve. Now, if each toothpick had something different attached to the other end, I don't know, like a, like a cherry, a raspberry, a blueberry, and a strawberry... I'm not sure why I'm switching to fruit right now, but let's go with it. Anyways, if you had such a cherry tomato with four different fruit attached to a toothpick each, you would have a chiral, a chiral admittedly very weird-looking cherry tomato, because its mirror image would not be superimposable onto itself, because you can never align one of the fruit at the end with the other, with the, with the mirror image. So far, this, what I just told you, is all totally theoretical, and most likely makes little sense to the listener. But let me explain how it can make sense. In an environment where there are no other chiral compounds, a so-called achiral environment, the two mirror images behave exactly the same way, and it is actually impossible to separate them. Such an environment may be, for example, a puddle of water. But in an environment with many other chiral compounds surrounding it, this interaction suddenly becomes very, very relevant, as the mirror images start to interact differently with said chiral environment. Now, where would you find a chiral environment? Hmm, well, your own body is one. So is the body of every plant or animal on this planet. Just to name a couple of billion examples. You see, the crazy thing is that the proteins that we are made up of are themselves made of amino acids, and these 21 essential amino acids are all chiral except one. That's the simplest one called glycine. It's quite remarkable, really, because they also all utilize only one of the mirror images exclusively for making proteins. Although chemically it would be possible to use the other mirror image as well. This configuration that all essential amino acids have is called an L configuration. So they're all L amino acids. 
To my understanding, there are only some bacteria who make the D amino acids, the mirror image, the other one, but only to incorporate into their cell wall, not to create their proteins. Okay, so they're all L in this configuration, not D, which is the other side. Something similar is true for sugars. Yes, they're chiral too. But for those, we only really find D sugars in nature and no L sugars. So L amino acids, but D sugars seems to be, yeah. We, we do not know, yet know why that is, but there are theories. It's nothing like a good theory, right? Some scientists speculate over a very specific meteor that crash landed on Earth. Others thought that the first amino acids originated on a quartz surface, which had a specific arrangement that forced the evolution of only one mirror image. This would also corroborate the observation that amino acids can catalyze the creation of others. This topic in itself would be an entire episode, okay? So, so let's not linger too much on the evolution and creation of why we have this situation. And let's check out the practical ramifications of this idea of a chiral environment. Because you see, this is now where it gets really exciting, at least for me. Because as I said, chiral compounds may react differently with our body. Care for some examples? Let's start with smell. There's a compound called carvone. One mirror image of carvone smells like spearmint to us. The other smells like caraway. The other fun one is taste. Have you ever read the back of, I don't know, Coke or, or, or juice or something? Sometimes you find something called aspartame, which is a very common sweetener. The L form is super sweet. The D form completely tasteless. Okay, so if you do a 50-50 mix, mix, you only have half the intensity. It's crazy. Admittedly, the above ones are harmless. I will now give you the ones that really make an impact and they all relate to medicines. That is, pharmaceutical drugs. With some pharma drugs, one mirror image is just less effective than the other. So dosimetry is important, such as, for example, in the case of the antidepressant citalopram. But it gets really serious when one mirror image is a medical drug and the other has catastrophic side effects. Exactly this happened in the late 50s and early 60s in what was back then West Germany. The drug thalidomide, sold under the brand name Contagan, was a drug counteracting morning sickness in pregnant women. The disaster happened when it was found that babies had extreme deformities on birth or didn't even survive the pregnancy, as it was found out that one mirror image had the desired effect of counteracting morning sickness, while the other one caused the deformities and had severe effects on the unborn child. This is a lesson that the pharmaceutical industry had to learn the hard way. The problem here is that when you react simple achiral compounds to make a chiral one, you will always get a 50-50 mixture, unless you create a chiral environment in which they react. This was not the case back then. We didn't know. This sort of situation can happen if you have a flat molecule and a reagent that can react from the top 
or from the bottom of this flat molecule. Think of it like a sheet of paper. One side red, the other blue. And someone gives you two different nondescript stickers, say an X and an O. And that person says to you, attach one to each side. Chances are you will randomly attach them and you will have made a chiral object since you could have easily stuck the stickers the other way around. If then 99 other people will independently do the same, I would be surprised if the ratio of results would be far away from a 50-50 mix of X on red and O on blue versus X on blue and O on red. This is the same in chemical reactions, where nothing is telling the reagents how to react. The kicker on top is that, for all intents and purposes, the resultant mirror images would also act the same in an achiral environment, which makes it really tricky to separate them from each other. Thankfully, the industry learned from their mistakes, addressed the issues accordingly, and has very strict regulations in place that tries to minimize the risk of such a disaster from ever happening ever again. When I think of the topic of chirality in the context with humans, I'm invariably reminded of Star Trek, but not in the way that you may think. Guys, I love Star Trek. It's something I grew up with. The next generation bit, not Captain Kirk. But nonetheless, I love Star Trek, the idea. It's been a big influence on me growing up, and it's actually one of the pieces that got me into science. But it nowadays bothers me during the rare episodes when, for example, they crash on an unknown planet and may have to eat fauna or flora. I always wonder if they may end up on a planet with the other amino acids, you know, the D ones, the, not the L ones that we have, but the D ones. And they can eat plants from there as much as they want. But the human gut is just not able to digest it. And, you know, I don't know if they stay hungry. Maybe it's even poisonous. But, but that's, again, for another topic over a beer or something. But I, I, dig, I digress. So, yeah, that's the story of chirality, guys. I, I hope it was reasonably clear, my ramblings. And I hope also you enjoyed this episode. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys in the next. So if you have comments or ideas for new topics, please leave comments on, on Twitter under at chemistryineve1 or write directly to me under chem.podcast.gmail.com. If this was too fast, as usual, I left the information in my show notes. Also, if you liked what you listened to, please rate my show on the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks a lot, folks, and take care. You've been listening to Chemistry in Everyday Life, a podcast about chemistry that happens all around us explained in layman's terms. Thank you for listening.